0: I'd like to see it be okay that I believe something, you believe something, and we can still coexist, and we can talk about it without um, triggering one another or crossing one another's boundaries. And um, I always want to be clear, too, that I don't, I'm not for just anything, because if what I believe in would be harmful to someone, I'm not supportive of that, but just just you know, the basis of having the flexibility, the right to believe in, you know, what works for me spiritually, I think that's important.
1: Welcome to Awakening Lives, a podcast of the Spirituality Network. We seek to cultivate the awakened life through contemplative living and action. Joining me today is Cherise Thomas. Uh, a good friend and a former co-worker. And Sharice, uh, I am so delighted to be able to reconnect with you in this way. Uh, our topic today is a prelude to our JEDI event on diversity. And uh, I'm just anxious to have this conversation with you.
0: Welcome. Thank you so much.
1: So, Sharice, I usually like to have people introduce themselves so that they can say the things that are important Uh, To them, I hate when people read my bio. Uh, So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Sure. Well, we know I'm Sharice Thomas, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm married. I'm a mother of three wonderful humans. And yes, I'm biased (laughs) in that way. I'm also the grandmother of five amazing humans, and I'm even more biased with them. (laughs) Um, Now in the business world, I lead diversity, equity, inclusion, and access at the Columbus Chamber of Commerce, and I also um, serve as the president and board chair at the Central Ohio Diversity Consortium.
1: Nice, nice. So one of the things that I've always loved when I follow you on Facebook is when you post about the Wonder Twins. Uh, I think I, I just always get a big kick out of that.
0: Yeah, they are they are a lot of fun and they're truly a wonder. That was a nickname that I came up with when they were young. Um, it started out as play, but uh, they definitely are living up to their names.
1: I love it. I love it, and I certainly appreciate the bias toward the grandchildren. I feel exactly the same way.
0: Yes, I love when a DEI professional can admit their bias.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and, and shouldn't we right?
0: Yes.
1: Cool. So uh, let's jump right into this. What what got you interested in diversity work in the first place?
0: It started when I was young. Um, you know, started with babysitting, but it really came out in high school. Um, we went to Groveport Madison High School. And at the time, the population was uh, not like me, obviously. Uh, it was a majority white. Christian, middle class, um, heterosexual, and that was the students and the staff. And I believe there was also a lack of cultural competency because there could be, there was no push to be culturally competent, even though everyone was amazingly nice and sweet, just not in tune with people from different um, lives than they may have been in. So I wanted to see more representation. So. Um, At school, I would do things to drive that, Um, whether it was through the music I chose um, in solos or with my projects. I always chose things that were different than the predominant culture at the school. And then I went to OSU and I worked in the Department of Black Studies. I think it's called African-American Studies now. And... I also majored in women's studies, which was eye opening. And you can't turn it off once you learn it and know it. So I began to take what I was learning into um, my leadership roles at church, uh, in you know the companies that I worked in and always led with this diverse and equitable and inclusive lens um, so in 2021, I actually took a job with the title, and no one was shocked. They said, "Well, you've been doing this forever, no matter what job you were in." But like I said, it just started at a young age when I saw inequities, and I wanted to make them right.
1: So you know i I think that you have been doing this work all along. Uh, I'm I'm curious. Uh, did you notice a shift? when you had the title associated with this?
0: So it wasn't necessarily a shift in my thinking. It was a shift in the reception. So I'll give you a, an example. Um, no one called on me as a diversity, equity, and inclusion expert, <laughs> even though I was doing the work. Um, you know, They would call on me from a change management or org effectiveness or leadership expert. Um, what happened, though, is when I was at Nationwide, um, there was a leader that we both know, Jeanetta Darno. And she pulled me aside and she said, you know, you're doing diversity, equity, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> you're doing diversity, equity and inclusion work. And I said, oh, yeah, I, I'm like, I I agree. And she said, as long as you know that, and then we became friends and we started trading information and helping each other. Once the title was given to me, people started referring to me as an expert in the space. Um, so I, I thought that was funny how the title uh, was kind of more important to some people than the actual work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've, I've... But I, I wouldn't say that I've studied power, uh, but I've been very intrigued by different types of power. And and a title is very much a form of power. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I'm not surprised that uh, people would see you differently as, as a result of that.
0: Yes, I was shocked. I will admit it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's good to have things that shock us.
0: Yeah, it really is. It says we're still human.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you you mentioned uh doing this work in at church. Um I'm I'm curious how is diversity work a matter of faith for you?
0: Good question. So when I was um actively involved in church, I was in a number of leadership roles in Christian ed- education, our prophetic ministry, um dance ministry, all kinds of different things that I like to do. Choir, all of it. And as many of you know, and (laughs) I I smile at this, church is one of the most divisive and uh, hierarchy-driven places there is, even though a lot of great things happen there. And I've had a lot of life-changing events um, through church. At the same time, it was pretty divisive. And for me, when I thought about like, what is, like, who am I? What is diversity and equity and inclusion to me? Um, I really started challenging my own faith. And from there, I I said, what? how do I define myself? So I've been defining myself as um, a spiritual person, not necessarily belonging to one um, religious belief system or the other. I do believe in a higher power. I say the most high. Um, that's how I refer to the higher power I believe in. Um, I do believe that we all have divinity within us and that we're on this journey to find that divinity and bring good to the earth. Um, At the same time, I I needed to leave the church in order to explore that Um, Hmm. because in a leadership role, there was a thought that I would influence people and that I would pull them away from that construct, so we just had a mutual agreement that I would part ways. Um, I left about 12 years ago. I started exploring my own personal spirituality and um, working to deepen my faith, and I've worked with um, a lot of uh, many people who were doing the same thing. Uh, I call us all seekers, and ironically, there's still a lot of things in the Bible that I really do see as truth and I believe that they ring true. Um, And an example I like to use is the scripture about faith being the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I I still believe that. Um, That's how I see faith. That's how I see my faith, and that's why I continue to seek and find. Um, But one of the things that I'm getting to is how do we live out our purpose on earth? And I don't mean like what you might be called to do in a career or a vocation. Um, It's about love and recreation, right? So how do we get more love and more recreation? You know, if we're co-creators, we're supposed to be creating and recreation is fun and we can create through fun. So how do we get there? So my faith isn't just about my belief in this higher power it's also about you know how do i love more and how do i recreate
1: more Hmm. i love that yeah so i i think we're on similar journeys there Charisse, and uh it it's it's great to meet other seekers along the way so um i i'm curious you're you're in a role where diversity obviously really matters more from a corporate perspective. What's the difference between when you put your diversity hat on in your formal professional role versus your faith role, or is there a difference?
0: Well, I try to not have a difference. However, <laughs> the worlds can't always coexist like I would like them to. So when I think about the corporate world, there's... um a numbers focus, right? Because in the corporate world, even the nonprofit world, there's a desire to make money or make some sort of quantifiable change. So I find in the corporate world, when I start having conversations with people about their DEI strategies, um, the conversation usually starts with, Hey, we'd like to hire more diverse people. How do we do that? So, um, then, of course, I, I help them do that, but then I talk about, well, let's talk about inclusion and belonging. And then, of course, we have to have an index to measure that, right? Um, and then we talk about equity and transparent pay. So we have charts and graphs to measure that. And there's also a question that any smart business owner is going to ask you, what is the return on my investment for doing this work? Um and they usually want to know that at least a projected amount before they actually invest in the change. And that, you know, it's all about really at the end of the day numbers. So when I think about faith, granted, when you think about our faith centers, we could apply some of those same principles. We could say, yes, we need more women in the pulpit, or we need, um, we need to listen to children. We need to protect children. We need all these things, right? At the same time, I think that there's another aspect that we could explore when it comes to faith that could actually lend to every other aspect of life, and that's coexisting with equality. Um, you know, we all have different belief systems. Even within those belief systems, we might have different ideas, and that's okay. How can we leverage those differences? Um, still be strong in our faith, still believe what we believe, learn from one another, and just leverage that and build towards that love and recreation, right? So I think that another thing that I think about when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion in this space is we say that each person has the right to choose their own belief system. But what I've noticed is that If you don't choose from the top five, um, there's not always acceptance for you. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to see that change. I'd like to see it be okay that I believe something, you believe something, and we can still coexist. And we can talk about it without um, triggering one another or crossing one another's boundaries. And... Um, I always want to be clear, too, that I don't I'm not for just anything, because if what I believe in would be harmful to someone, I'm not supportive of that. But just, you know, the basis of having the flexibility, the right to believe in, you know, what works for me spiritually, I think that's important and then we can get into the governance part like i there's some things in different texts I, I like to read all types of different uh you know religious and spiritual texts i believe we need to rewrite some things um mm-hmm. you know i and i i have some clear examples i believe that men should not be ruling over anyone except themselves um i don't believe that war is important to religion, meaning I am not declaring war against your people because you worship someone different. And I don't believe we should celebrate or encourage those scriptures. Um, also, I think when we talk about love, people should be able to love whoever they love without question. Um, and you know, that there's boundaries and parameters there too. I mean, age and consent matter, don't get me wrong. Um, right. But, you know, we should be able to love who we love. Love is love. It doesn't matter. And I believe that, you know, I think of like Salem witch trials and how that still happens in different ways um, through uh, a lot of men being in the medical system and kind of taking it over. And I'm like, why don't we just allow women who have intuition and healing knowledge to be a part of the solution? And why are we considering them part of the problem? And putting them in this witchcraft category or, I mean, I can go on and on, but there's a lot of governance in our faith-based organizations that need to change in order for us to be more equitable and inclusive.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. So uh, maybe we need to back up just a moment and uh, define diversity. What, What do you understand diversity to mean?
0: That's a good question. So it's simple for me. It's all dimensions of human difference. And then that's my simple definition. But then, you know, we could take it into the practitioner part. When you think about all of those dimensions, uh, you know, we've put them into four categories. We've put them into um, the core of that dimension, which is personality, you know, how you were born and how you're shaped in your formative years, um, and then there's another layer of internal. Those are like the characteristics that you have no control over for the most part. Like, I was born this beautiful shade of brown, um, <laughs> you know, certain type of hair. Those are things that we don't have control over. Um, but then there's this external piece where there are some choices that we make in life that also shape um, who we are and differences, right? And then, of course, there's organizational, and those are things related to work and the social organizations to which we belong. So, you know, just once again, summing it up, at the end of the day, it's just all dimensions of human difference.
1: So um, earlier, you you mentioned some people may approach you because they say they want to hire more diverse people. And that always kind of gets the hair on the back of my neck up a little bit because i think they have an idea of what they mean by diverse pe- people that probably isn't as expansive as what you just described so you know i think white men are diverse yeah they just may not be the diversity that you're seeking in a pers- in a s- particular situation
0: exactly i i was talking with um someone who felt left out um Specifically a white male who um lives a very different type of life than maybe I do social in the on the socioeconomic scale. And we were talking, and he said, Cherise, I just feel left out of this work. I don't I want to be a part of it, but every time every conversation I'm in, it's about someone other than someone who looks like me. And we, you know, we're pretty good friends, so we could talk. For real. And I said, well, I see you as diverse. Um, I see you as this person happens to have served our country. Um, you know, that is an experience I don't have. Um there, are, you know, in fact, I believe um he was in Desert Storm. So that makes him a veteran, not just even a person with military status. And he's from a rural town. Um I am too. So we had that in common. And we, I mean, we were just able to really unpack it and talk about it. And he said, "Wow, I've never even had this deep of a conversation about diversity and inclusion. And he said, in fact, I I'm against it, but talking with you, I'm not against it. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to unpack it, you know, and talk about it a little more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you, uh, used uh two words that i i hear people talk about a lot when they're talking about diversity that's in common i i think there's a tendency when we're talking about diversity for people to gravitate toward the things that they have in common instead of celebrating the things that make us different Mm -hmm. i love that your skin is a different tone than mine I think that's a beautiful thing. Uh, our hair, yours is a little curlier than mine, but we have you know, both curly hair, but that's not as interesting to me as the differences between us.
0: Mm-hmm. And to celebrate those differences and to leverage them, I believe that when you do this work, a lot of times you're met with opposition before you even say anything. So it's almost intrinsic where we're trained and, and no one trains us to do this. It, it's just what happens, right? You're trained to talk about similarities to maybe make the other person more comfortable. And then you're able to bring out the differences. And it's funny, I never, I didn't realize, remember, I initially I was doing this a long time ago before there was training and degrees and, and all the things. And I'm like, that is one thing that almost every DEI leader, unless they're a social justice DEI leader, um, but the corporate folks, we do, we look for those similarities and it's because we're trying to make people comfortable so that we can lean into that conversation about differences.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, you said intrinsic, I think it is part of how we're wired to look for similarities. I think our cave people, ancestors, looked for people who were similar because those were the people who were safe. And the people that were too different were not safe. And Mm -hmm. so they congregated with people that were similar. And I think we have to move past our similarities to really leverage what those differences can mean for us and the value that uh, we can gain when we interact with people who are different than us
0: and you know you talked about how we got there and it's almost primitive or instinctual right one of the things that stands out to me i'm i'm always making these uh comments on facebook i don't know i they something happens in the day it doesn't even have to be about me it's just i could see it on tv and i'll make these comments and um i made a comment um earlier this week about it's not a good idea for married people to take advice from single people it's not a good idea for Uh, people who are parents to take advice from people who aren't parents. And as you can imagine, the response was interesting. Um, But what I I don't know if people understood what I was trying to say. And it goes back to that instinctual piece where we have to make decisions. We have to make them fast. So, you know, if you think about being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, and I know that is far-fetched, but it used to happen. You're, you know, when you think of the neuroscience behind it, you're either going to, I'm going to run. So I'm in that flight mode. My amygdala has been hijacked. <laughs> and I'm in this flight mode. Um, some people might fight, right? Some people might fawn and some people, you know, might freeze. I don't know. Everyone has a different response, but usually those are the four. And so I was laughing because all I was really saying is. I value an experience. I don't think it's better than the other experience. I just happen to value that experience, but I don't think it's better. In fact, I like the diversity of experiences, but when I need to make a decision, unfortunately, just like everyone else, I don't care if I'm a DEI professional, I'm leaning into, okay, this person has done this before. They look successful in this space. You, they could probably have the worst advice ever. Who knows? But, I, you know, we we do go to that likeness. The problem is, is that it's okay for people to have a preference. What's not okay is for us to use that preference to withhold human rights from someone. Yeah. So if I'm using using my personal preference to withhold pay, to withhold a job, to withhold entrance into a club of some sort. That's a little different. That's where the problem becomes more systemic. Yes. And not just, you know, a personal preference.
1: Yeah. And and I'm guessing that's why the word access is in your title.
0: Yes, definitely. And one of the things that I, I get in trouble for is when I'm working with uh corporate leaders, I'll say I'm not trying to change your heart and mind. I mean, that w- I will down the line, don't get me wrong. But starting out, I'm just trying to help make your workplace more diverse and inclusive. And there's some things that we can do that, you know, are, are pretty simple if you really just do them. Um now down the line, we'll work on the heart and mind part and so I get in trouble a lot for that from other DEI leaders because they'll say, no, we have to change hearts and minds for it to stick. And I'm like, that's true. But sometimes I need something to happen to start the momentum and get the excitement behind it. And then I can work on making it stick.
1: Yeah. Some people are going to need a different motivator in order for it to stick than than others. We're, we're all driven by different things. And uh, we have to speak the language of the person we're talking to.
0: Definitely. And it's really, and what, and I love DEI work, because while I try to make it um, a process, it's hard to make it a process, because to your point, people are motivated by different things. And we need to leverage those differences. So I have this process and I help walk people through it, but I always say the sign of a consultant that is good at their work is when you can flex, when you see the need.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you um, said a few moments ago that uh, sometimes the, the natural response is to not want to embrace diversity. It seems like we're in a very interesting time right now where DEI has been in the news a lot and not always in a favorable light. What what do you see as the future for DEI especially within the political climate that we're in right now?
0: Yeah, so it um DEI is really under attack and I would suggest that in some ways um we and I say we as practitioners Some of that is our fault, not all of it. (laughs) I mean, it's obvious what's not our fault, Um, but some of it's our fault because what happened, I believe, I mean, think about it. This DEI work has been going on since the 70s formally and well before the 70s uh, informally. But what happened is it seemed to garner more attention um, due to the unfortunate murder of George Floyd and uh, Phil- Philandro uh Breonna Taylor, many others, may they all rest in peace. And so what happened there is we began to mix that social justice piece with the corporate diversity piece. And while I get it and I understand it, um, I, I see where the pushback came from. Anytime you lead with um, dialogue about white guilt white privilege you're almost leading with scarcity mentality and that's a hard topic for us DEI leaders because we're like no that's not scarcity mentality we're trying to help spread you know the spread the abundance and help people see that there is abundance but when you Lee telling someone, you have more than everyone else. You have privilege. This is your fault. And then we expect those same people to work with us. Uh, I don't know. We've kind of created an enemy. So I, 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 it's not that I disagree with what they were saying. It's just I, I'm strategic and I'm not sure that was the right approach. Mm-hmm. So then what you have now is the political climate was as such that you now have these factions fighting against one another. And even the factions who agree are in fighting. So we're not really getting where we need to be. We need to evolve our work and um, think through some new strategies and tactics that are more relevant to what's going on now and still continuing to do the things that work. But I don't know if I would ever advise leading with the privilege and guilt narrative ever again.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. that's uh, And I've probably been guilty of doing that sometimes myself. So uh, that's something I'm definitely going to have to take some time to reflect on.
0: Yeah. Um, I would say I'm guilty of it. And that's why I feel so comfortable talking about it because I've done done that too. But when I sit down with people who are willing to have real conversations with me, who might think differently than me, they'll tell you, hey, this is isolating to me. It feels divisive. It feels totally different than what you say you stand for. And just sitting down to unpack those conversations, um, not saying that people walk away doing something different, but they do walk away thinking and if I can get you to think, that's powerful.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't think that diversity work is going to go away, but it's possible that it might be diminished in the near future, given uh, things that are going on. What what, are, what do you see as the downsides of where we might be headed? Or or what might you be mourning as you see what's happening in in the world today?
0: Yeah, so you're right about the, um, it's not going away. However, many organizations have already begun to focus more on belonging um, or inclusion, more so than diversity, and I'm gonna even add another element, equity. Um, they're okay with access, but diversity and equity seem to be a challenge for many organizations now. Um, and that, and I'll tell you, that's not just the business organizations, that's the faith driven organizations as well. Um, because remember, I said, we like to count things, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, where we were counting, you know, we had our first senses in the Bible, <laughs> and, you know, we like to count possessions, we like to categorize things. Um, and so ironically, that actually helps work towards a goal of getting more diverse people of all types into the workplace. If we don't do that naturally, I don't know if, I'm sorry, if we don't do it intentionally, I don't know if we'll do it naturally. Because remember, naturally, we're inclined to go with things that look, feel, and taste like us, right? Yeah. So without an intentional focus, I believe we're going to go backwards. And what you will see happening, though, is organizations that don't go backwards they will continue to work through all the muck and the mire. They'll do the work, and down the line, they'll be able to tell a different story. And then I believe people will start leaning back towards doing DEI work.
1: Hmm. I, I'm I'm confident that we will. So I I tend to be a positive person. So let me flip this and and ask you, what are your hopes and dreams for? diversity?
0: So I, I I, have this thing, and it's not just diversity, it's everything I do. I'm like, can I work myself out of a job? Because I like to move to the next thing, right? So I do have this dream that we go through this mucky, myri period, and we come out on the other side, and we keep moving. And we do the work so well that we no longer need diversity, equity, and inclusion leaders we would begin to use those skill sets to solve bigger problems. Um, not that this isn't a big problem, but you know what I mean? Like, um, are we? can we solve world hunger? Can we solve world peace? Can we work towards solving things that benefit us all? Um, and that only can happen is it, if we can get us on an even playing field. So work me out of a job.
1: I, I love that. Uh when I was getting my master's in HR, I I came to the conclusion that HR professionals should work themselves out of a job too. They should be training leaders and employees to do the work that uh, HR professionals do so that uh, they're more effective in their job without needing an intervention like an HR professional. So I, I love that dream. and. Uh, I hope that uh, we realize it in our lifetime. You too. Yeah. So where can people learn more about you and what you do?
0: So websites are always very easy. Um, Columbus.org, our Columbus Chamber of Commerce website, has a lot of information about our diversity, equity, and inclusion work. So you can definitely go to Columbus.org and do that keyword search. And all of our work will pop up. And also the Central Ohio Diversity Consortium. Um, Same thing there. We have a a good website that explains how we see uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, access, all all the things. So those are two good ways to connect with the work I'm doing.
1: Wonderful. Sharice, any closing thoughts before I uh, bring our podcast to an end?
0: Well, I'd like to thank you for having me as a guest. As you know, I've uh, admired working with you for years, and in fact, uh, when I first left Nationwide to go to Nysource, I, I, I said, "I need an Alejandro here. I, <laughs> I need kind of like the yin to my yang here." And so, I've definitely missed working with you, and honored, and love watching what you're doing, and I just can't wait to see it continue to grow and prosper.
1: Well, thank you. I always loved working with you and I'm so thrilled that we've been able to reconnect this way. And I hope that this is a start of uh, something big and beautiful that uh, perhaps neither of us have expected.
0: That would be amazing.
1: Cool. Well, for everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of Awakening Lives. This is one more way we at the Spirituality Network connect people with resources for spiritual growth and depth regardless of faith tradition through education and training spiritual direction for individuals and groups and community programs and events. Ecumenical and interfaith the spirituality network honors diversity and does not proselytize. If you wish to know more about our programming please visit us at Spirituality Network. where you'll find events such as a workshop on grief titled Dealing with Loss and Healing, which will be on January 20th with Annie Dalby. And then I hope you will also join us on February 12th, where Charisse and I will have another episode of our JEDI series, where we'll talk more about embracing diversity and specifically talk about the different dimensions of diversity and intersectionality, which is so important to talk about in this topic. Charisse, thank you one again, once again, and uh, I hope all of you will join us next month as we'll explore other ways to awaken our lives and transform the world.